Welcome to today's episode of Responding to Life. I am joined by Christina Rodriguez. Christina is a wife and a mother of four. Throughout the course of her career, Christina's love of technology and passion for helping others led her to work with organizations empowering women, girls, and young professionals to pursue careers in STEM. It is because of this work that she and her husband, David, started their own staffing and consulting agencies. When Christina isn't working in the Atlanta tech scene, she can be found sharing her love of storytelling as a content creator and blogger. Christina's own experience with PCOS, IVF, endometriosis, and adenomyosis has led her to devote a large portion of her time raising awareness of infertility and its many struggles. She passionately serves as an advocate sharing information, resources, and encouragement for those dealing with infertility. In all things, Christina is an open book sharing about her life and the things she loves while inspiring and encouraging others that real life is enough. So let's dive into our conversation with Chrissy. Welcome to the show, Chrissy. I'm so excited to reconnect with you here on this platform. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to get to sit down and chat with you. Yeah. So, you know, I introduced a little bit about your story um, in the introduction and just for people to know, we met one another through the wonderful network that is on Instagram for infertility, as we are both advocates um, speaking about our own very different experiences. And that's why I wanted to um, sort of amplify your story and um, have you share with us about all that you've gone through, as I know you um, are so wonderful about sharing and helping normalize the conversation and destigmatize everything about infertility. So without further ado, why don't we start with um, how your fertility story began? Absolutely. So, you know, my fertility story is actually a really interesting one, and I have not heard very many people that have had the crazy winding path that <laughs> that I have had. Um you know, it started out really normal. Um, I will say that growing up, you know, my parents didn't really talk about um, reproductive health. Um, we didn't know a lot of things. And as an adult, I found out that actually endo and PCOS and things like that run rampant in my family. Um, I've got several women in my family who have not been able to conceive um, for these various reasons. But again, it was never talked about growing up. Um, so, you know, I left for college and didn't think anything of it. Um, you know, obviously at that age, I wasn't really thinking about having kids yet. Um, but you know, I got into the gynecologist when I thought about it, um, for my <laughs> annual exams. Um, and then I met my ex-husband and we had my um, oldest daughter. And shortly after that, on the first try, had my son, um, you know, five years later. And in between that, I was also an egg donor. Um, so I was a um, an egg donor that was invited to travel around the country. Actually, uh, I'm African-American and there are not very many minority donors actually. So, um, I was lucky enough to have a very, very high AMH. And so I donated several times and again, never really thought about my own fertility. I got pregnant on the first try with both of my older kids 
So I figured everything was great. Nothing to worry about. I was a donor. My numbers were very high. Um, you know, we're talking 30 eggs retrieved every time. And so I assumed everything was good. Um, I unfortunately got divorced. And at that point I met my husband and we decided that we wanted to embark on this journey of, of pregnancy and having a child together. And my husband is a good bit older than me. So we actually assumed that we would need to do IVF because of him. He had a vasectomy previously. So, you know, we planned on having to, to go the IVF route because of that. But during the routine testing, come to find out, I now have what we call secondary infertility. Um, my endometriosis was worse. My PCOS had caused a lot of issues. I had blocked tubes. So, you know, what I expected to be relatively easy and straightforward turned out to not be easy and straightforward. Um, my husband, David, and I then had to kind of just reshift our thought process and, you know, explore IVF for a different reason, which you know, it was fine, happens. It was just totally unexpected because I had always joked that I was, you know, fertile myrtle. Um, and so it was, it was very surprising for me. And in discovering this, I really sat down and talked to my mom and learned that my mom had had a hysterectomy and that my mom's three sisters all had reproductive issues. Um, you know, I have something like 10 great aunts and the majority also have these kind of issues. So, wow, I did not know this. Um, and yeah, so that led me to IVF. And initially, as I mentioned, I thought it was going to be straightforward. So I started sharing because one, I hadn't seen very many other women that looked like me that were sharing the story and what this journey looked like. And so I figured, you know, I'll be an easy case. And so this would be kind of a nice carefree, light way to share and to just kind of get the information out there. And of course it turned out to not be simple for us. So it, it kind of dragged on in a sense because it wasn't as straightforward and easy as I was expecting, but that's really why I started sharing about fertility and IVF in particular, because I had this whole host of issues and I wanted some representation and truthfully, because I thought it was going to be an easy process for us, which it ended up not being. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally, I totally get that. Um, I feel like I hear sort of that same uh, thought process with many people as they first go into um, assisted reproductive therapy that, you know, you go in thinking one thing and have the mindset of like, this should be okay. You know, I'm this age or it's, um, like, you know, what we're addressing and then all of a sudden you get hit with a curveball and you're having to manage different, very different expectations. Um, and so then you were able to, to eventually get pregnant, correct, with IVF? Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. Um, we have a two and a half year old now. So in, in the end, it did work. Uh, definitely a struggle getting there. Um lots of complications for me, but yes, we made it. Yeah. Oh, well, it's always great to have, hear about the happy endings and see them, um, see the, the beautiful kids, um, after all of the struggle. 
So, you know, I'd like to backtrack on uh, when you found out that you had PCOS and backtrack a little bit even more into your the, the medical history of your family. I find it so interesting that, you know, the generations before us, we just didn't know anything about that, that all was so very hushed, hush, you know, and like, um, it's not until you actually start to go through something, at least I've found and I've heard um, from other people's experiences that that's when suddenly you realize, oh, well, so-and-so had this and so-and-so had that. And it would have been so helpful to have that information. And that's part of what also drives me as an infertility advocate to be very open and share about like what I've gone through. Um, you know, for other people's sake, but also for my own kids um, and them knowing their medical history. Um, so with your PCOS, did you have any symptoms like um, when you first found out that you had it and as you continued on with it, like sort of what, what, how did you manage it um, as you're continuing along your process? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I absolutely had all of the symptoms um, of both PCOS and endometriosis, but I didn't know that it wasn't normal. Um, we really didn't talk about it. My mom sat us down, you know, when period time was supposedly going to approach and, you know, here is a pad and this is what you do. And this is what's going on in your life from now on. And, and that was kind of it. And I was older when I started um, menstruating and it just, we didn't have those conversations. And so, yeah, I mean, I had abnormal bleeding. I, it was irregular. Um, I had a lot of the typical signs of PCOS, but I didn't know what it was. And, you know, I want to say that I was 22 when I had my oldest daughter and, you know, I, I now being the age that I am, you know, I was a baby back then at 22. So I just didn't even know to ask for help or know to say that these things are not normal. I was living with pain all the time. And I just assumed that I'm a woman now, and this is what we women go through. And this is just how it's supposed to feel. And it sucks and it's <laughs> miserable, but everyone else is do all the women that I'm seeing are having the same problems. I really had no idea. It wasn't until gosh, after I'd had my son. And so we're talking, you know, just shy of 30 that all of a sudden I've talked to more people and, you know, starting to realize that, Hey, wait a second. It's not okay. And it's not normal to feel like this and to have these things going on. Um, all it would take is for me to talk to a doctor and talk to some other women that have experienced it, but I had no frame of reference for what normal felt like. So I kind of continued on. And after I had my son, you know, we, we were hoping that some things would calm down and we started diving into finding out exactly what was going on after they didn't calm down. You know, it, it, my son was probably three when I got these diagnoses as, you know, official word from, from multiple doctors after multiple tests that, Hey, these are the things you have going on. So it, it took a long, long time. Yeah. That's, 
seems to be the common story that I hear from many women um, that I've talked to about PCOS. Was it hard for you to advocate for yourself during that time to get the diagnosis? Um, Absolutely. And I will share a quick side story because this again is normal in my family. You know, my mom had to advocate for my sister who was in debilitating pain every month, you know, and she saw a doctor who downplayed it and said, no, that's not it. I mean, and if it wasn't for my mom forcing a procedure, you know, laparoscopic to, to be able to look and see, and my mom was correct. And it was a similar story for me. You know, I, I had doctors that were kind of like, here, take some Midol. It's fine. Um, (laughs) you know, and that doesn't, that doesn't do it. And you, you kind of have to push, or at least that was my story. I, I had to push and I had to say, look, I'm not a baby. I'm not complaining about phantom pain. I'm actually hurting. It took me even having to go and be hospitalized multiple times to, to really have someone stop and say, okay, this woman's actually in pain. We need to figure out what's going on and not keep contributing it to, well, you just had a baby. It's fine. Or, you know, you're on IVF medicine. It's fine. You're going to be in pain. There's just a lot of things, but you have to just keep pushing and pushing and pushing until you get the answers that you're looking for, which is, is unfortunate. Um, I think sometimes people luck out and they get a really good provider that is familiar with these conditions. And I think that that's what it comes down to is not being well-versed in what, what a woman's body goes through and what it can go through. And so sometimes you get lucky and you have a person that, that knows what to look out for and they're actually listening and that's great. Um, it just wasn't my experience. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, I'm, I'm so sorry. I had to go through that for so long. It's so frustrating to feel like you're not being heard. You're not being seen for, you know, what is, what is true, like the truth that you're living. And um, so, yeah, so that really, um, it must have been such a frustrating and as well as on top of all of it, such a painful time for you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It really does come down to a provider who is willing to listen or who has had already this gone through these experiences with someone else and um, to, to really like be a partner with you. But um, so I'm the hope, you know, is that the more and more people talk about it and we realize that, there are certain ways that, that periods are supposed to feel and other ways that, you know, they're just it's not um, the ordinary experience um, to make it, you know, a lot easier to diagnose and have patients um, have their conditions be validated. Um, and so then, you know, so then you also found out that you had endometriosis and um, like just curious about how that sort of appeared and how you had to sort of manage it and and work with it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, again, my, my mom, my sisters, my aunt all have the same thing. So, um, my mom had gone through it with my, my younger sister, like I mentioned, having that laparoscopic, uh, procedure done to, to actually physically look and see if they saw the endo they didn't want to do that, you know, and they, they looked via ultrasound, which we know isn't 
the right way to go if you're really trying to see what's going on in there. And so I was able to to push and really advocate for myself because my mom had already done it with my sister who was in so much pain. And it really, I mean, I had all the classic symptoms. I was miserable. And so I knew what to look for and what to ask for because of my mom having done this already. So I was able to sit down and say, look, I'm having painful intercourse. I'm having horrible pain. Like I I have all these things. I have all the classic symptoms. I have a huge family history of it. Let's look and see how we're doing and what's going on. And that was really all it took for me. Um, You know, unfortunately the treatment for me ended up being a hysterectomy. Um, And so I'm just shy of a year out from, from that. Um, I, I did have a hysterectomy and have the endo and things removed, um, but that we had to take drastic measures because nothing else was helping my situation, unfortunately. Oh, that's that's so um, such a tough process to go through, Chrissy. I'm really sorry that you had to, on top of the PCOS, and then to go through this. Um, but you know, it sounds like you're able to really advocate for yourself and in the second situation, considering you had it as a family history. Um, so that was, um, I was fortunate, I suppose, in that sense. And then in terms of the, the endometriosis, does it come back after it's removed? Um, is there a chance for that happening or because you, is that why you had the hysterectomy to, in order to like prevent that from happening in the future? Yeah. So interestingly enough, um, I have to do a follow-up with my surgeon because we are likely going to check to make sure that we got it all. And, um, from, from what I'm understanding, there is a possibility of it coming back if it wasn't all, um, taken out, you know? So I'm in that stage right now where we are going to explore options. I, I did have a hysterectomy. I'm still having pain. And, you know, there, the female body is just amazing, <laughs> amazing and frustrating all at the same time. Right. So yeah. we, we actually need to go and take another look and see if I have more or some still left over. Um, we ended up going the hysterectomy route for me because we really didn't have any other options. I'd done all the medication. I was and still am in so much pain. Um, just, you know, like you can't walk through, you can't talk through, you can't breathe through it. And so we really didn't have that many options um, short of let's just remove everything and hope that that clears things up. And our bodies are are wonderfully amazing and complicated. And we chose to leave my ovaries so that I wasn't thrown into menopause and it's looking like that was not the right decision. (laughs) So, you know, along with looking for, for that endo again, we are considering whether or not we're going to remove my ovaries this time as well. So it's just, it's a lot going on right now. And it's, it's a lot trying to stay on top of things. And sometimes it's questions that we don't even know to ask that can come back to kind of bite us later on, you know? So I'm, I'm kind of learning through all of that right now in real time. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's true. Totally true about the questions, not knowing what to ask. And then, um, yeah, and then it resurfacing. Um, so given, you know, the insane amount of experiences that you've had um, with trying to conceive and then with um, PCOS and endometriosis, I'd love for you, aside from the advocating piece, which we've already discussed, if there's anything that um, you often sort of recommend as lessons learned from your whole experience. You know, I think lessons learned are to give yourself grace and be patient. Nothing about treatment is easy. Nothing about conceiving if you have fertility issues is easy. And a lot of times we want things to happen and we're just so desperate for them, whether it's answers to why our body feels this way, or whether it's, did this cycle work or how many um, embryos do we have? It's, it's so easy to rush things and force things. The biggest thing that I've learned is just to have patience and it's definitely easier said than done, but you will, and I did drive myself crazy. And so, you know, whether it's taking the time to do research, which, you know, I'm the queen of research, I will sit for hours and learn about endometriosis and learn about PCOS so that I can come up with the right, right questions, um, you know, just to prepare yourself. But that patience is important because it allows us to take the time to do things like research or talk to someone else who's been there so that we can kind of arm ourselves with as much information going in as possible. So I think that, you know, for me, the patience, which is so hard, has been the biggest, most helpful thing for me. No, that's a really great um, lessons learned to share with us uh, and the listeners. Uh, it can feel really tough to have patience when it feels like the process of trying to conceive is so um there's like so much time pressure with it right with the age of our eggs and and there just doesn't feel like there's time to to really pause and have that patience and just feel like we should always be on the go always trying the next thing um, but I wholeheartedly agree with you in terms of sort of taking the, those moments to as hard as it can be to be patient so that you can really do your due diligence, but also to check in with yourself and see if, you know, see what you need in the process, um, see if this feels like this is the right direction, um, and to just really like sit with what's happening because you can miss a bunch of stuff when, you're just on the go, constantly just trying to do the next thing. Um, so thank you for sharing that lesson learned. And, you know, I just have uh, one more question. I'm just curious about this. As uh, we're both moms of daughters, but in terms of like raising your own daughters, um, sort of what do you envision that to look like given like medical history and background that you have? Like what would you do differently in terms of like preparing them for what may be a part of their future? Sure. You know, we live in kind of this information age right now. And I think that it is wonderful for so many reasons. One of them being that we have all of this knowledge at our fingertips 
that we can educate ourselves, but in turn, educate our daughters, especially. My oldest is 13 and she was lucky enough to see me. Sorry, two-year-old screaming. She was lucky enough to see me going through my fertility treatments. Kaylee, my 13-year-old actually did a few of my shots for me while my husband was traveling for work. Oh my goodness. Okay. She is amazing. I mean, those PIO injections and she stabbed that right in. <laughs> like she, <laughs> she did amazing. So, you know, she has a decent understanding of how our bodies work, which is something that at 13, I had no idea of. And we've also been able to just have more open conversations where I explain things to her, but where she can also ask questions. Mm. She has been able to see a lot of the work that I do in the infertility community. And that's led to beautiful conversations where I've told her that, you know, there is a high likelihood that you will experience some of the things that I am experiencing and that your grandmother has experienced and even that your great-grandmother has experienced in her life. And I want you to be able to ask questions. I want you to know not to accept being in pain. And I want you to know that you can talk to me about it. And those right off the bat are things that I didn't really have. I think that it was like you mentioned earlier, generational, you know, our, our moms and grandmothers didn't really talk about these things. And so I hope that a change that I can make for my own daughter is open lines of communication, that she knows that we can have conversations about this, that she doesn't have to feel ashamed or weird, um, or like these are inappropriate or uncomfortable conversations, you know, the the female population is not a small one in the world. And so we should be able to talk about our bodies and talk about the things that we're going through without feeling like it has to be a secret or we're not supposed to talk about it. And so I'm hoping that in being so vocal, Kaylee, my 13-year-old, understands that it's okay and that she's prepared and she's ready when the time comes to to ask questions. I love that. I love that as a as a mom of of little girls, and it's just so uh, so wonderful that we have this opportunity to sort of make that change, right? And for generations to come, of how we talk about ourselves and our bodies, and and how to normalize conversations, um, and to have those open lines of communication. I think that just such a wonderful gift that you're able to give to your children um, and to all of us. So I really appreciate you coming on here and sharing your story. You know, it really helps other people who might be experiencing the same thing and who are trying to conceive to really feel less alone. And I know you know that. Um, so I just really appreciate you and the work that you're doing. And I'd love for you to share how uh, the listeners can connect with you further. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so I am on Instagram and you can find me at, uh, Christina C H, um, R I S T I N A Christina N Rodriguez. And that is my same handle for pretty much everything. So you guys can find me there where I am sharing all about infertility and just busy life with, with these beautiful children. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, yes, definitely connect. 
Um, yeah, you have such a great feed and I love seeing all the happy faces, but also the real talk that you share with all of us. So um, thank you again for joining me on the show, Chrissy. It's always such a pleasure to, um, to touch base. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me and, and letting me share my story. Thank you for joining me on another episode of the Responding to Life podcast. I hope you found Christina's story both inspiring and informative. If you are in the process of trying to conceive and perhaps dealing with some of the same issues that she faced, please be sure to follow her on her Instagram page at Christina and Rodriguez for more info and inspo. As a reminder, I now offer fertility, pregnancy, and parenting-specific meditations and life coaching sessions as well as online workshops and my two books on mindfulness. Simply go to my website, jatlurie.com for more info. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at josephinearatlurie. Lastly, I now offer free support groups via the Peanut app. Download the free app and look for my support groups. The first one is called Journey to Motherhood for TTC and Infertility Wellness. And the second group is called Thrive and Grow Pregnancy, Postpartum, and Mamahood Mindfulness Support. I'd love to connect with you on a more personal level via these groups. Mm -hmm.